Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program about all sorts of things to do with motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in the program this week we look at news stories with David Campbell, including General Motors to close plants and cut models. We've had a look at Hyundai's new Ionic vehicle, which comes with both hybrid and electric power plants and is their first electric vehicle on the Australian market. And Errol Smith, Brian Smith and I take a genial look at some weird and wonderful news stories about cars and transport, including a toy company that is now making toy cars mainly out of wood. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or you can podcast previous programs on iTunes or Spotify. So let's start the program. Here's the news. General Motors has announced that it will axe around 15,000 jobs, or around 15% of its global salaried workforce, including 25% of its senior executives. But Holden and its Australian-based design and engineering operations remain safe from job cuts, at least for the time being. GM will close five factories in North America and will discontinue a number of models. The five plants that will be shut down consist of three vehicle assembly lines, one engine line, and one transmission line. Four of the plants are in the US and one is in Canada. The cars that will be axed comprise of sedans from Chevrolet, Cadillac and Buick, including the Chevrolet Impala, Cruze and Volt, the Cadillac CT6 and XTS, and the Buick LaCrosse. GM's attempt to close the factories still must be negotiated with the United Auto Workers Union, which has promised to fight them legally and in collective bargaining. Sales of plug-in vehicles in China this year are on track to crack 1 million, accounting for about half of the world's expected volume of battery electric and plug-in hybrid vehicles for 2018. Chinese electrified car sales in October were up 85% to a record 119,000 units, taking year-to-date plug-in vehicle sales to over 750,000 units and putting plug-ins on target to take a Chinese market share of about 4%. Despite a slowing of general vehicle sales in the world's biggest motor vehicle market, sales of what China describes as new energy vehicles, or NEVs, have been driven upward by a swarm of new models and government measures to cut vehicle emissions. Because car sales in the final two months of the year are usually among the strongest of the year, industry pundits expect NEV sales in China to comfortably make 1 million units and possibly even 1.1 million more than was sold in the entire world last year. Under new laws, Sydney parking inspectors will be able to hand out demerit points as well as fines to drivers who park illegally. The new rules see inspectors able to tack on a maximum of two demerit points on top of a fine for a range of different parking offences. Leaving a stationary vehicle on or near a pedestrian crossing could cost you $337 plus two demerit points. The penalty is the same for drivers who park in an intersection within 10 metres of an intersection with no traffic lights or within 20 metres of an intersection with traffic lights. Understandably, some people are upset with the decision to let parking inspectors issue demerit points, 
One person commented that in many spots around Sydney, it wasn't even possible to park 20 metres back from an intersection. A German magazine has suggested that the United States could potentially start imposing tariffs on all imported cars except those made in Canada or Mexico. The magazine cited EU sources in the story and claimed that a US Department of Commerce investigation report was on President Trump's desk, suggesting a possible 25% customs duty on all imported cars with the exception of those made in North America. The Trump administration has repeatedly said that it will not move forward with trade tariffs on the EU or Japan as long as it continues to make progress in trade talks. Imposing tariffs now would directly contradict those previous statements. Jaguar Land Rover has revealed its second-generation Range Rover Evoque mid-size SUV, which will feature a larger lineup, a fresh platform and new technologies. It should enter Australian showrooms in the second quarter of next year with a higher starting price. The Evoque's entry level has risen by over $8,000 to $64,600 plus on-road costs for the regular D150, as the price-leading manual transmission has been dropped in favour of a 9-speed automatic model. Mazda Australia has finally confirmed that it will add the turbocharged petrol engine from the CX-9 and Mazda 6 to its CX-5 medium SUV line as part of a model year update that rolls into showrooms in December. This marks the second update in 2018 for Australia's best-selling SUV and, as well as the new powertrain, the CX-5 gains more standard safety features along with improvements to the interior and ride quality. And finally, a few Australian racing drivers have either been changing camps or hanging up their boots altogether over recent weeks. Daniel Ricciardo completed a century of races for Red Bull's flagship Formula One team in Abu Dhabi recently, before moving to Renault's factory team next year. Veteran Ford driver Mark Winterbottom has had his last race for Tickford Racing at the Newcastle 500 Supercar event. Next year he joins the Holden camp in place of Lee Holdsworth. And Craig Lowndes retired from full-time supercar racing at the Newcastle 500 event. Lowndes is a three-time V8 supercar champion and a seven-time winner of the Bathurst 1000. And that has been the news. Hyundai has just launched its first electric vehicle onto the Australian market, the Ionic, spelt with a Q at the end. The Ionic is slightly shorter but a little wider and taller than the Hyundai Elantra, which is in the same class as the Toyota Corolla. I'd say the Ionic has better space utilisation, especially for the rear seat passengers, than the latest Corolla. While you can get the Ionic as a hybrid and a plug-in hybrid, Hyundai believes that the biggest sales, about 50% of the vehicles, will be the full electric vehicle. With two equipment levels, the Elite at $45,000 and the Premium at $49,000, all plus on-road costs, this makes the Hyundai the lowest-priced electric vehicle on the market at the moment. Korea's senior executives would shudder at the thought of it being called the cheapest on the market because that evokes images of poor quality. Even the expression value for money suggests a compromise in the features to keep the price down. Nothing could be further from the truth, for while this electric vehicle is still dearer than a similar petrol vehicle, there is no question that it comes with a wide range of features for comfort, safety and efficient driving. The big issue in the minds of many people with electric vehicles is the range, 
and the time to charge the vehicle. In both these areas, improvements have been made. The Ionic has a range of around 230 kilometres, depending on how you drive, based on a full charge of the batteries. With the latest available high-powered charging station, you can replenish 80% of the battery power in 23 minutes. 80% of the charge would give you a range of around 180 kilometres, which clearly does not make it into a long-distance touring vehicle, unless you are prepared to stop regularly and for a time a bit more than filling a petrol tank. The issue is, though, that this technology is developing very quickly, and there are systems that can deliver 350 kilometres of charge in 10 minutes, but at the moment the vehicles themselves are not capable of receiving this much energy at this rate. But we are typically considering this in the context of a long trip, which is not what most of the typical use will be for this car. At the moment, about 90% of charging is done overnight at home, or perhaps at a long-stay location such as work, and obviously that's at a slower rate. But even in that, the Ionic has things to help. It has an auto-link system that connects the car's smart computer to your mobile phone via Bluetooth, allowing owners to keep track of vehicle information and get more out of every drive. You can even set the time for recharging so as to take advantage of off-peak power rates, for example. The chance to be able to sit down quietly at home and go through those statistics is a great effort to help you manage and be familiar with, in the easiest possible way, the systems in your car and how to make the most of them. But let's not forget the features. In the area of safety, it has forward collision avoidance assistance, lane keeping assistance, driver attention warning, blind spot collision warning, rear cross traffic collision warning, and smart cruise control. For comfort and providing useful information, the vehicle has an 8-inch screen, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, a charging pad for your smartphone, heated and ventilated front seats, an Infinity 8-speaker premium audio system and satellite navigation. We have driven the vehicle, but there is an embargo on talking about the drive experience for about a week. Will electric vehicles make an impact? Well, the last thing we really need is to debate it, as we have seen in the typical political stance of whether it is left or right-wing politics. It's none of that. It is new technology that is booming around the world. And some Australian companies have developed some very good technology, but it is not being sold in Australia because we are just so far behind in encouraging and facilitating the adoption of this technology, which will only get better and better and without doubt, among everything else, has a very clear advantage of reducing local pollution. Even if you come from the denial side of climate change, the fact remains quite clearly that electric vehicles reduce local pollution. And there is more than enough evidence that shows that the quality of a city and the health of its inhabitants are adversely affected by the pollutants that come from internal combustion engines. 
Australians have shown that they have the potential to create jobs and growth and business activity from clever development of new technologies. And while the Hyundai Ionic is not the peak of that development yet, it is a major step in the right direction. You're listening to Overdrive. And let's catch up again with Brian Smith and Errol Smith to talk of some unusual stories in motoring and transport. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. You're welcome, David. Okay, David. Brian, you have a story in an area that I think you're quite expert at. Do you guys remember, and many of our listeners, I hope, would remember matchbox cars and those wonderful old metal cars in a box that came in a lovely printed cardboard box and, you mm. know, you played with those toy cars. And that era is kind of – it's still out there. You can still buy toy cars. But a, a company um, called Candy Lab Toys is uh, reintroducing the idea of the, the metal toy car, the, the Matchbox-style car. It's kind of metal. The, the chassis and wheels are metal and the, the body is timber. They, Candy Lab specialises in timber toys – um, and so they're saying that they're launching this new style of, of toy car, you know, mixing the die-cast toy with the premium feel of wood. I'm not sure if you've ever had a splinter that it's very premium feeling. But <laughs> they uh, they offer these kind of quite strange little um, simple car body shapes. They're kind of groovy uh, and they're coming in a colourful box. And, of course, being a modern idea, like an old idea reinvented as though some kid with a beard has actually created something new they did a kickstarter and so uh, they had something like 238 36 backers they'd raised uh, 13,820 bucks they wanted 5,000 so it's gone pretty good so as a backer you you, you buy a car a mystery car for six dollars and you can get a top end package for 216 dollars which get eight of each of the six different styles of car it's, it's an interesting little idea. They've recreated the matchbox idea of the, the colourful box. But the, the sad thing for me is that it's clearly not marketed at children. It's going to be adults, possibly adults with tattoos and beards who work as baristas, who are going to be buying these things. And that makes me a little bit sad. I think as soon as you started talking about this story, I agree with you, Brian, that my memory now of people who are buying these toys are people that put them on mantelpieces or behind glass panes Mm. to show their love for Volkswagen combi vans or other things. You and I used to see them at ground level. Yeah, with it, yes. You'd lie on the ground and look at it, yep. And drive them around on the dirt driveway and scuff them Mm. and wreck the paint and yes break them mm. yeah and then badly badly repaint them in a different color yeah. yes this is the sad thing about this is uh, i think no one's going to be playing with these very much uh they, they look too sort of nice and precious for that and and the other thing is that they're solid made out of solid wood so there's no chance to destroy the windscreens which was pretty <laughs> much everyone of mine no yes. longer had a windscreen well well they're not exactly in the toy department price range anyway because the uh the regular toys from from Candy Labs, they're about about thirty to forty dollars US each. Yeah, they're wooden cars. Um, I know. The one I liked, which is like a Land Rover with a, a surfboard on top, is like forty eight bucks. It's yeah. um, crazy. Have you bought presents for children these days? Uh, 
My children get used to sticky and rocky. (laughs) Each year they get a new one. You get $48. Compared that to one of the more upmarket Lego sets. I think they actually mentioned that in the story because there is, of course, the um, Bugatti Veyron Lego car, which is uh, about, you know, $450 or so. That's right. And no child is ever going to be playing with that. Mm. Or sets aspirations they'll never get. The thing that I think that it may reflect a modern progressive approach is that it has the metal chassis on the bottom and then you just have a, a simple screw to put the different car on the top. So can you have the one chassis and different things on the top, which is what we've talked about with cars, mm. that you might be able to produce the one sort of base level and, and take it off and put your utility body on if that's what you want, rather than owning two cars. That's an idea there, David. I think you, that you're onto something there where this sort of modular approach, could we just scale it up? basically. I saw somewhere where it's vintage style. I know there was a word there that suggested it wasn't real timber. It was more sort of timber-like sort of stuff. Okay. The other issue is then, is that good from a replacement point of view that if I batter around the the top of it, can I replace that? Can I? I think so. I I think it is beechwood, which uh, I I see there that they sort of spell it... um, Singly, like beechwood is is one word. And I wonder whether that's really wood. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's like Tasma- Tasmanian oak. Huh? Yeah. Or that, the fancy, that, that, that's a fa- that's a fancy term for pine. <laughs> Can we be, however, preparing children for the realities of life? So that when you beat the car around and it dies, you can then cremate it. Oh yeah. Okay. Have a little ceremony. Maybe a magnifying glass to get it started. <laughs> Light a few ants underneath it. Is that what you meant with the yeah. magnifying glass? And if we scale this up, David, I think you're right, getting kids ready. You scale it up and then possibly you need very large couches to get stuck under. <laughs> Parking garages in the shape of a couch. Each year the car is bigger, right? That's the, the, the inflation. You've got to admit, gentlemen, it is rather simplistic looking. We found mm. that by stamping metal, both in real cars and in toy cars, we can get great variety and creases and angles and things to it. This is something that my grandfather used to make for his grandchildren. Mm. In the shed. Yeah. Yeah, mm. the shed. But you know what? One of our kids had something that his grandfather had made for him, whittling a bit of wood in the shape of an aeroplane and a little screw on the front with a propeller and that, and he loved it. Mm. Played with it ad infinitum. And, of course, if he threw it or did that, it meant nothing to us. It wasn't, oh, that's my $48 toy that I bought for you. Mm. I don't know, maybe they could, uh, people could make their own, so they just sell you possibly the die-cast base and a screw, and then you cut your own... Uh-huh. shape and then become a, a car designer. There's an idea. Let's well. get some backers. <laughs> let's let's kickstart this. <laughs> well, they only what did they raise? Thirteen thousand dollars. That's hardly a sort of startup of great significance, well, is it? Yeah, I mean, what, five thousand bucks. Right, is they, they've got wood and some metal diecast bits that are probably made in China. I, I can't see. Well, that's true. What they? <laughs> I mean, you could just go to the bank manager and say. Can you lend me five thousand dollars? I've got a business idea. They'd probably give it to you. Indeed. It's not very complex. It doesn't require a lot of 
sort of, uh, you know, tricky design or, or computers. Are the blocks of wood cut by a robot, though? You know, is there... I bet they're cut, yeah, by some kind of machine. machine. Mm. Errol, mm. you have a story of uh, the sadder part of life. Yeah, well, David, it, it seems that some criminal habits are hard to break. As demonstrated by a man in Florida who was released on bail for auto theft. So... On his way out of the jail, he tried to steal a car from the jail's parking lot. I'm not making this up. Even better, or worse for him, at least, there was an off-duty police officer behind the wheel of the car he tried to get into. <laughs> so, so He's the, a criminal the, genius, isn't he? Yeah, he's a criminal genius. So apparently he was walking past the cars, you know, just trying, trying the handles. Trying to see doors. if there was one unlocked. And, of course, this cop uh, jumped out, arrested him, and took him straight back into the jail he just walked out of. He told her, the best part, he told the cops that it, he thought the car was there for, to take him to see his parents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it doesn't really say much for the rehabilitation program, does it? You'd want to review that after that. He was only in there for two days, so he might not have, he might have skipped a few. You know, he's oh, okay. been able to... Fully completed. You wouldn't really send him through rehabilitation. You'd send him back to kindergarten, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The interesting part is they did actually get uh, let him out again, and this time without a, a third auto theft incident, at least that we know of. <laughs> Purely for sympathy, the guy you know claimed a, a disability of uh, for obvious reasons. You know, as as shown by his own action. Gentlemen, when we were young, do you remember how doing the quarter mile, the drag race, was a way of measuring the performance of a car? Yes, David, the speed, the number of seconds. Mm. Now, in fact, if you go back, modern cars only relatively recently have actually been improving on that. If you go back to the late 60s, early 70s and the muscle car era, they were really very fast maybe around the 13 seconds for the quarter mile. Now, they didn't go around corners or that. Modern car does that much better. Modern car is heavier for other reasons with all its technology on it, including air conditioning. So that hasn't helped that. But recently, they have been really starting to improve the performance in a straight line. The drag off from the traffic lights. We'd seem to have lost sight of that. It was a big part, of course, of Back to the Future movies. Somewhere in the middle there, we've lost track of that drag at the traffic lights, I think. Mm. Mm. I'm only interested in if it can reach 88 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, Lux Capacitor? The flux Capacitor. Flux yeah. Capacitor. Kicks in, yeah. However, yeah. however, there is a number of cars that are really, and manufacturers, that are really pushing this limit. The Dodge Hellcat 6.2-litre V8 was a, a two-door sports car, and some other manufacturers have actually used that technology and applied it. The same applies, of course, with top speed. You remember the Veyron. We did a story about a guy who got up to 400 k's mm. in a Veyron on a... a public road. Mm. Yeah. I spoke to a person who went to the launch of the Veyron and said on a public road they got up to 361 kilometres an hour. That was some time ago. That's another story. But not just top speed now. Now we're getting the acceleration where the Dodge Hellcat was one that could get its front wheels in the air. In fact, you could specify an option that was specifically made so you could zoom up a 
quarter mile track. Now Hennessy. Now, when I talked about top speed, Hennessy also broke the world's top speed record. They didn't do it with a Bugatti with four turbochargers and a V16. They plonked a huge, great V8 in a little Lotus Elise, (laughs) which is not what I would want to do 460 kilometres, yeah, kilometres an hour. Now, this Hennessy have done it with the track hawk a four-door suv that can go from 0 to 100 kilometers an hour in 2.3 seconds and run the quarter mile in 9.66 gentlemen yes would you uh, like to go to the shops in that <laughs> well you certainly get there quickly wouldn't you <laughs> I, I, I just I love know. how i love how hennessy gets a vehicle that's already ridiculous uh, <laughs> and makes it even more so so the 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 off-the-shelf uh, Grand Cher- Cherokee Cheap. Trackhawk yes. does 0 to 100 in 3.7 seconds yes. uh, and has an 11.6 second quarter mile, almost 290k top speed. But of course, that's not good enough for Hennessy. So they crank out even more. Yes. I'd say ludicrous, but Tesla's already kind of stolen that word for it's their car. It's pretty ludicrous, I say, because they, um, they've actually put a system into it that changes it from being full time, full wheel drive to rear-wheel drive for burnouts. I mean, first of all, can I also say that that I think Jeep is just sort of um, chipping away at its heritage in the most cheap and nasty ways possible. I mean, it's not a cheap car, but but Jeep Trackhawk. I mean, a a Jeep super-fast sports car. I mean, this is not what Jeep is, right? I, I just see Jeep with this ridiculous range of vehicles that, that just basically piss on its heritage and here's another thing like t- trying to turn it into some kind of Porsche KN copy I don't know I, I just this leaves me cold this story I have to say well it's ridiculous I mean what do we ever buy anything that so can outperform anything you would reasonably even morally do to use it for yet it's so over the top and spent so much money on something that merely says you can do it rather than really creates opportunity where you can apart from the very extreme and perhaps the very dangerous yes yes well of course you do have to pay for it because it's uh 180,000 us for one of these which does include the original car of course which they they crank up (laughs) yes Gentlemen, lovely to talk to you. Thank you, and we will catch up another time. Thank you, David. Thank you, Errol. See you, David. See you, Brian. And that was Brian Smith and Errol Smith talking some unusual, if not discouraging news in Honor Times of the way some people just adapt to the idea of what should be simple motoring and transport here on Overdrive. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Campbell, Brian Smith, Errol Smith and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or podcast previous programs on iTunes or Spotify. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.